0: This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The Lab recently released their annual Halloween perfume collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Dot .com This episode of the Witch Wave is brought to you by Open Coven. Okay, potential stitch witches, have you been wanting to learn how to stitch but don't know where to get started? Do you love embroidery but can't find kits available to match your aesthetic? Then check out Open Coven's embroidery kits. Each one is designed for beginner crafters, and they include a printed design, embroidery floss, a needle, an embroidery hoop, full instructions, and a stitch guide. They are super cool and super magical, inspired by the occult, social justice, and zine culture. These kits are far from traditional, and you will love them. And best of all, Witchwave listeners will receive 10% off their first order and a pass for a free live online class by using the code WITCHWAVE23. Open Coven's embroidery kits also make a great gift for the stitcher in your life. So go on ahead to opencoven.com for more details, and don't forget to use code WITCHWAVE23 for 10% off. Hi Wavers. I have exciting news! At long last, we have some new Witchwave merch available for you now through TeePublic. We decided to go with TeePublic for our new Witchwave merch because it is a print-on-demand site, which means you can get different variations of the Witchwave logo printed on t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, magnets, notebooks, oh my gods, the sky's the limit! And the shirts come in different styles and fabrics and colors and are available in sizes small through 5XL, so you can order whatever you'll feel your most magical in. So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to The Witch Wave. Yeah, so I'm sick. <laughs> um, I do not have COVID, which is good, just some other little sickness goblin thing that I haven't been able to shake for days. And because of that, I'm going to try to keep my introductory remarks relatively short. I'll also add that because I'm under the weather, I wasn't able to leave the apartment, which means this is old school recording out of my closet. And that means um, apologies for any quality differences, any background noise. I'm just doing my best to keep this whole show going. But I've actually been thinking about this very topic, the topic of healing when feeling wounded let's say because i started feeling sick right when sagittarius season started this past full moon and it was really kind of fascinating because as many of you know i lead these online monthly ritual workshops for all of our witch wave patreon backers and so for Sagittarius season, the workshop I led on that very night of the full moon, just when I was starting to get sick, happened to be all about the archetype of the wounded healer. And I landed on this topic because Sagittarius is The archer and the centaur, yes, but really is related to a very specific archer-centaur, and that is Chiron, who in Greek mythology was a healer and a teacher of medicine and mystical arts to everybody from Asclepius to Achilles. Now, I won't go into too much detail about Chiron today, So definitely do watch the recording of the workshop if you are a Patreon backer or consider becoming one. Because remember, the recordings of my monthly circles are always available and relevant for the entire month. But anyhow, as the myth goes, Chiron the Centaur is accidentally pierced by one of Hercules's poisoned arrows. And he's in a lot of pain because even though he is a healer, he is not able to cure himself. And so eventually, Chiron goes to Zeus and makes a deal. Chiron decides to trade his immortality in exchange for the freedom of Prometheus. Because remember, at this point, Prometheus is chained to a rock and being tortured as a punishment for bringing fire to humanity. So Chiron says to Zeus, Make me mortal instead and free Prometheus. And Zeus agrees. He takes Chiron's immortality and frees Prometheus, and then Chiron can finally die, and then he is turned into the constellation Sagittarius. So the Sagittarius constellation is Chiron, the wounded healer, who doesn't have to suffer from his wounds anymore because he is now a constellation and because he has traded his suffering and his mortality for somebody else's freedom. It's a really rich and beautiful myth. Now, because of this story, Chiron became known as the wounded healer. And this notion was popularized by Jung and other psychomythic thinkers, and they put forth this idea that our wounds make us more compassionate to the suffering of others, just how Chiron was compassionate to the suffering of Prometheus, and that this compassion that our wounds gives us makes us better healers for others. And so I've been trying to let myself be a bit more vulnerable lately and share some of my challenges and wounds and show up even when I sound like shit and feel under the weather. Not that I'm saying I'm some great healer or something, but I do think that we owe it to each other to not burden each other, but yes, to share our struggles sometimes and to share when we're not our most shiny, sparkling selves because we all go through those times. And in that vein, I chose recently to also post about how I've just started what I'm calling my year of saying no, which means that I'm going to be turning down more opportunities and more plans so that I can really focus on writing my book, which I really need to do and have been prioritizing. And I need to do that while not spreading myself too thin or burning myself out in the process. So on that note, right now I'm sharing my being under the weather with you all. First of all, because, well, I just didn't want to cancel or delay the episode. And also because, yeah, we're all human. We all struggle sometimes. We all get sick or feel blue or feel cruddy. And so I... Thank you for making me feel like I can show up and croak away in your ears for a little bit. And I will say also, if you just cannot stand this croaking sound in your ears, the interview that I do with today's guest, um, I sound a lot better in it because it was recorded a couple days ago. I was still starting to feel sick then, so I'm not 100% myself in the recording either, but I definitely sound less croaky. So just hang in there a little longer. And so, I guess the message here is that we all need to take it easy sometimes without guilt or shame and not feel pressure to be perfect or totally together all the time. And I think that's a good message to remind all of us during this Sagittarius season in general because this is the season where things start to get busy and it's so the opposite from like what our bodies are telling us to do. Our bodies are telling us the days are getting shorter and we should be hibernating. And yet the holiday season is when a lot of plans kick off and there's celebrations and presents to buy and family negotiations and parties and so on. So I just wanted to remind you and remind me that it's okay if we're not feeling sparkly all the time, if we're not feeling shiny and smooth, and to make sure that we take breaks and take good care of ourselves, and if we have the energy to make some gentle magic for ourselves. So after I do this recording, I think I'm going to take a nice, magical, soothing bath and drink some mm, delicious tea. Yeah, that is my plan. Now, one of the people who helps me tap into that feeling of gentle magic is my guest today, the artist and oracle deck designer Niku Bafti. Her work is so gorgeous, and her blue-hued painted scenes of Persian gardens, and liminal, mystical sanctuaries put me in a truly magical and meditative state. And our conversation reminded me about the gentle power that art has to heal and harmonize, and I so hope it will bring some healing and soothing and beauty to you too. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire.
1: Who is it? Witches. Hi, Pam and the entire Witch Wave fam. Uh, This is Will. I'm normally calling in from Michigan or would normally be calling in from Michigan, but right now I am recording this from my hotel room in Phoenix, Arizona. I have been traveling a ton lately. Um, I've been in seven different cities in the last five weeks and that's not very typical, but I do think I might be traveling a bit more for my work. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how to connect with yourself, with spirit, with places and spaces that I'm going to or any of us are going to when we have all of this back-to-back travel, back-to-back whirlwind of activity. I feel like I'm everywhere, all over the place. I don't know when I am. I don't know where I am. And I thought you might have some ideas maybe. So anyway, love you much, Pam. Love everybody who's part of this community. Thank you. And I hope to hear from you soon.
0: Hi, sweet, sweet Will. Now, for everybody listening, I don't think Will will mind if I expose them a little bit as one of the dear friends that I made recently as they and their lovely husband were both participants in the magical Greece trip that I led this past September. And my goodness, Will, it is so good to hear your voice, and I had no idea that your travels have been pretty much consistent since then. I hope it has felt adventurous and exciting at times too, but yes, I also know how destabilizing travel can be, especially if you keep changing locations. So here is what I will say. First of all, when I travel, I always carry some sort of travel talisman with me in my bag for extra blessings and protection. Lately, I've been carrying a Protection for Travelers charm sachet that I picked up at Dry River Witches in Arizona when I was visiting my folks, and it looks like you can order one directly from them online or else find something equivalent from your local witch shop, or if you're feeling crafty, maybe even make one for yourself. Will, I happen to know that your husband is a master crocheter, so maybe he could help in this regard. Just a thought. Sorry, I'm telling all of your business to the Witch Wave community. Well, I apologize. But anyhow, in addition to a travel talisman, I also like to make sure that I stay anchored to spirit and self wherever I am. So this means packing very intentional jewelry that makes me feel magically supported. And it also means making sure that I have items in my hotel room or whatever guest room I'm staying in that make me feel connected to my magic. Now, I've often talked before about having a little travel altar that you can take with you. You can make it out of a little box or an Altoid tin. So that might be something fun for you to bring with you. And if you can light a little candle in it or near it, all the better, though I know that's not always possible in a hotel. But also, don't forget about bath or shower magic that is portable and beautiful and easy so you can bring along a magic soap or bath salts with you. And just make sure that you take a few moments every day for that kind of cleaning, cleansing ritual because it can really make a huge difference and you are presumably going to be taking a shower or bath anyway. So it's an easy way to incorporate that. And finally... And this one is hard with busy schedules, I know. But if you can find a little pocket of time to connect to the land of wherever you are, that is massively helpful too. So, having a practice where you touch the earth and thank it, or maybe do an exchange where you leave an offering and then take a little stone or flower that you find can just help you feel less like you are free-floating and more present and more anchored. And finally, you all know I'm a big fan of casting magic circles, and that's a beautiful way to start the day or to ground wherever you may be. So if you can cast a quick circle of gratitude, protection, and love every morning, that can be a big help too. All right, my darling Will, it was so good to hear from you. I miss you, and I'm sending love, and I so hope that your travels are full of magic, and I look forward to them bringing you to my fair city so that I can squeeze you in person. Now, on to my guest, Niku Bafti is an Iranian-British visual artist and illustrator, After graduating with an honors BA degree in illustration from the Arts University of Bournemouth, Niku began her early career as an animation intern at Disney Channel UK and has since been working independently as an illustrator as well as exhibiting her fine art internationally. Inspired by the traditional miniature paintings of her Persian heritage, Niku combines intricate narrative imagery with a deep curiosity for the esoteric and metaphysical phenomena to create ethereal visions of a vibrant, holographic reality. With her spiritual and art practices closely intertwined, she uses her work as a vehicle to explore and understand what lies behind the veil. Niku's latest project, The Transmutation Oracle, A Metaphysical Guide to Navigating Reality, will be released by the Philosophical Research Society in January 2024 and is available now to pre-order at prs.org. Niku joined me from her home in Rome via Zoom. Niku Bafti, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm so delighted to have you. I am such a fan of your beautiful artwork, and so this is a real treat for me. I appreciate you making the time. Honestly, I, I really, really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. It means a lot. I'm really happy to be here. Chat to you. So... Niku, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you now is because I saw this announcement of a new project that you have been working on, Mm -hmm. and this is a new Oracle deck. And I am familiar with your work as a visual artist, which we'll dive into a little later, but I thought we would start by talking about this beautiful deck that you have been the illustrator of. So can you tell us the name of the deck and how you got involved with it? Absolutely. Well, yeah. So
2: the deck is called the Transmutation Oracle. I guess I'll just start at the beginning. So I got contacted by the Philosophical Research Society, the best place on Earth. Have you been there in person before, Niku? I haven't. I would absolutely love to. And I'm going to try to get there in the next year or so because it looks incredible. But I've been aware of them for maybe around two years.
0: So let's just set the stage for our listeners here. The Philosophical Research Society is this incredible center and library in L.A., I've been mm-hmm. there before and it is so magical. And this was a space that Manly P. Hall was the founder of. That's my understanding. Certainly yep. his library and his collection of incredible esoteric and metaphysical books are there. And over the years, they've kind of shape shifted from like a school to also a library to now they're doing a lot of events that are very hip and stylish. So yeah, if you crazy. like the Witch Wave, you will probably love what they're doing over at the Philosophical Research Society.
2: Absolutely. I cannot believe that they reached out to me. To be honest with you, I was quite shocked when I first got the invite, but I can't think of a better organization to have done this with. Yes. So yeah, so they get in touch and they asked if I wanted to do a new Oracle deck for them. And I mean, it's such an honor for them to have asked me because they've not released a tarot deck or an Oracle deck since the 1920s, the Mm -hmm. original Nat Paul deck, which is such a beautiful deck. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And yeah, so it was a huge honor and I can't believe it's happened really. Oh my (laughs)
0: goodness. Those are pretty big shoes to fill. We're talking about a deck that was put out by Manly Palmer Hall himself mm-hmm. and Jay Augustus Knapp, who my friend Mitch Horowitz, the occult scholar and writer, he often talks about Jay Augustus Knapp as like the Norman Rockwell of the occult, <laughs> right. just like incredible right. illustrator. And their deck yeah. is amazing. I have the re-released version of it. So for you to be next in line, I mean, my (laughs) goodness, how did they even know about your work? How did they reach out to you? It's pure chance, really, because I happen to know. I mean,
2: we went to university together. Somebody who works there, Liz, they reached out to me and asked if I would be interested. We don't know each other very well, but kind of peripheral circles. Sure. So something quite crazy happened before just I don't know, maybe three days before they reached out to me, I had this idea in the back of my head. I wanted to do a series of mini prints. And I'd had this idea for ages. And for some reason, that moment that week was the time I was like, I'm going to just do it. I had some time, I had some energy to do it. So really in an unattached way, I kind of just, you know, settled into it. And I did maybe like four or five full pages in my sketchbook of all these kind of card like thumbnails Mm -hmm. of different images. Mm -hmm. And two or three days later, I get the invite. And if I'm completely honest, if I hadn't had that moment in a completely unattached way, drawing all these little thumbnails I mean none of them were used for the final deck but Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had that experience where I just kind of smashed out a whole bunch of these drawings I don't know if I would have freaked out more or if I knew that I could do it yes somehow the fact that it happened that way it really was kind of a nod from the universe to be like you can do it it's fine like what you did a few days ago it's not a big deal you can do it
0: how Fabulous. Meant to be. And maybe you even conjured it or manifested it somehow. Mm. Who knows? Oh, I love that. Okay, so as we said, this deck is called the Transmutation Oracle. And the sort of subtitle of it is A Metaphysical Guide to Navigating Reality. Right. So this is not a tarot deck. It's an oracle deck. Yes. And I understand you worked with a collaborator around this. So can you walk us through the process of what the deck is and how you came to bring it into fruition? Sure, sure.
2: So basically, my collaborator is Laura Hayes. She's incredible. She's the editor of Psychic Garden magazine, a 13-sign astrologer. She happens to also be my bestie. Ah, yeah. When I got this invite and they asked if do you want someone to help with the writing, I knew immediately the person that I would feel most comfortable with doing this. It was a no brainer. I asked if she could come on and do it and she could. And it just felt so meant to be. And the reason that I completely trusted her is because we talk about these concepts that we put into this deck. It's something that we've really integrated into our own lives. And it's really, really helped us all the concepts that we put into this deck. So I just felt so comfortable just leaving the writing with her and be like, okay, I know that you were gonna smash it out, you're gonna do a great job. And she absolutely did. I wanted it to be super accessible for people. So even if you don't have kind of maybe a more witchy background. I wanted someone to be able to come to these cards and use them and not be scared away by any occult language that they maybe aren't familiar with. The whole thing was created under the assumption that we live in a kind of holographic reality.
0: Ooh, tell me (laughs) more.
2: It's something that I'm really passionate about. A few years ago, I read this book called The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, this book was kind of like a bit of a paradigm shifting moment for me, because prior to that, I'd always been kind of a quasi-spiritual person. I'd always been seeking in all sorts of kind of places and whatnot for something that made sense to me. But I never quite got the answer that I felt was, you know, satisfying enough. So the holographic model of reality was created by two scientists, a physicist and a neurophysiologist. They did it separately and then came together and realized that they'd come to the same conclusion. And basically, what is a hologram? If you take a piece of holographic film, and this isn't the kind of holographic stickers you get on like credit cards or anything like that, piece of real holographic film, you can't see any image on it with the naked eye. It kind of looks like ripples on a pond almost. Mm. If you shine a laser light through a piece of holographic film, then it projects this kind of very 3D image, which is already quite amazing and spooky. Yes. The mind-boggling thing about holograms is that if you cut a piece of holographic film into two pieces, say there's an image of a cat on the holographic film, you will then get two full images of cats this is 100% real. I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then you cut those two pieces again and keep cutting them. If you cut it into eight pieces, there will be eight individual images of cats when you shine lasers. through.
0: Fascinating. So how did this then inspire you and the way that you look at the world?
2: Right. So what that basically says is that the whole is contained in every part, right? Mm. So that's kind of what ancient philosophies have been saying for millennia is that, you know, we're all interconnected. There's like an underlying sea of energy that connects all of us and that essentially there is no separation between you or I or matter or whatnot. And it says that basically consciousness is something that can directly affect this underlying energy.
0: So then with this idea, did you find yourself shifting your own art? making process how did this affect you sort of as a a a maker
2: that book i was telling you about it kind of takes this theory and it applies it to all sorts of metaphysical anomalies it kind of explains out-of-body experiences and dream sharing and all these kind of wild you know the good stuff
0: yes the metaphysical reality of the world. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And it's something I'd always kind of on a fundamental level known and seeked out. But you know what? If the universe operates under this, anything is possible. And yes. it just opened me up in such a way like that I can't put my finger quite on it. But yeah, I think you can see very clearly that my work took a really sudden shift after this point. I started painting in the blues and the figure kind of disappeared from my painting for a while. This is my paintings rather than
0: the deck. That I yes, and made. I have a lot of questions about your paintings, but <laughs> keep going, keep going.
2: Yeah, it's just such a satisfying language to see the world through. Sometimes I'd, you know, plant objects or ideas or narratives or themes into my paintings In a way that in itself is kind of like magic, right? Like paintings are like magical objects because you spent so much time kind of with focused, intense, intense, basically. Yes, yes. It just transforms everything. It
0: solidifies that magic is real at the end of the day. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. And so how did this holographic point of view influence the way that you and Laura developed this particular Oracle deck? It was such
2: a core thing to us to be like, okay, let's put this out and have the whole thing be, you're operating under the assumption that this is the way that the world works and that you can affect your reality. So I just smashed out all of these kind of themes or concepts that have helped me move closer to wholeness or whatnot, or like, you know, healing, all Mm -hmm, of that mm -hmm. over the last few years and sat with Laura and we would just go through and say, okay, which ones are the most important to us? And yeah, we just kind of shaved it down, shaved it down and had the final list of the concepts that are most important. Laura went off and wrote her essays for each card and I just kind of went into my space of trying to
0: pull out the right images for each card. Yes, yes. And just to list some of the concepts, Mm -hmm. I saw in some of the promo materials, you have a card called invocation. Mm -hmm. There's one called protection, one called surrender, Mm -hmm. one called energy body. Mm -hmm. Did you kind of come up with those concepts in a list and then draw to them? Or were you just drawing and then adding the concepts onto them after or some common combination it was kind of a combination
2: but the core process of it because you know every once in a while an image will kind of pop into your mind and sure. you'll want to just jot it down sure we wanted it to be a deck that could really help the user definitely kind of went for the list first kind of just to figure out what are the most important concepts to us once that list is down what I would do is I've got quite a funny, but honestly, quite a ritualistic way of working when it's in the idea generation phase of kind of getting the images down. What I'll do is before I try and kind of detach, get myself in a really meditative state, you know, just really, really, really ground into the moment. And then just in a really non-attached way, I'll just kind of smash out pages and pages and pages in my sketchbook, almost in a way where I'm just not thinking about it. So
0: it's almost like automatism or kind or even of. like channeling you're just kind of in this more does the word trance feel relevant here? It kind of does, but I never want to use it myself because I almost feel like it's so
2: lofty to say, yes, I go into a trance and <laughs> sure, sure. And bring these images, but it does feel that way, honestly. Mm. It really is a process of getting out of your own way just seeing what comes up. Mm. That is honestly how I work most of the time when I'm coming up with imagery. And then afterwards, once I kind of have a big mess of pages and pages of the sketches, I'll go through with a colored pencil and kind of put dots next to things that I think work and then just kind of shave it down
0: and shave it down until the best ideas kind of really pop out. Ah, gorgeous. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry. An astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare, powerful, and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits even when the stars haven't aligned. These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus Materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Sphere and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well-known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at spearandsundry.com using the code WITCHWAVE. That's spearandsundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com, and use code WITCHWAVE for $10 off your first order. The WITCHWAVE is sponsored by BetterHelp. So as you can hear, I'm under the weather. And one of the gifts that I'm giving myself is to be extra tender with myself during gift giving season. There are so many people that I give gifts to over the holiday season. My husband's birthday is in December, not to mention my family celebrates Hanukkah, his family celebrates Christmas, there's solstice to celebrate in there, and giving gifts gives me a lot of joy. But the holidays are a great time, and frankly, an important time to give a gift to yourself. And therapy can be one of those gifts. Believe me, therapy is one of the best gifts I have been giving to myself for years and years now. It's a gift because it's an act of self-love and self-care, and it's frankly a gift to other people too, because when I'm feeling better, when I'm feeling nourished, when I'm taking care of myself, then I'm better able to be generous with other people. So I highly recommend therapy, and if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and all you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time at no extra charge. So in this season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit betterhelp.com/slash witchwave today to get 10% off your first month. That's better H E L P dot com slash Witchwave. Would you like even more Witchwave Do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis? And what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly? Then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win Witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out. And you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witchwave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Niku Bafti. So Niku, we alluded to your fine art because you have been an illustrator and a fine artist before you ever did this oracle deck. And I would love to hear you describe your artwork for people. I know it's a visual medium. And you know what? I'll get you started. I mean, your most recent work, as you said earlier, there's not people in the work. It's a lot of beautiful spaces They remind me of temples or Persian gardens. They're these sanctuaries, kind of, right? Yeah. What am I missing? What words am I missing? Oh, and they're like electric blue, almost all of them. (laughs) The most addictively saturated, magical, celestial blue. (laughs) I mean, my goodness.
2: In recent years, kind of more or less since lockdown, I've been painting kind of more nocturnal scenes. To me, it always feels like a dreamscape or to explore the concept of liminality, it be that through portals like doors or windows or hallways. In a less literal sense, I don't know, I like to kind of instill these paintings which are often just of spaces and places with that electromagnetic feeling like just before something anomalous or magical happens or just after you know Yes. and I can't even put my finger quite on what my method so to say is to get that feeling yeah but a lot of the time it is through color color is so powerful to kind of make you feel that feeling of like okay this isn't space reality this is dreamlike right these saturated super bright colors it really kind of sends you into that place like that, that kind of meditative space when you look at these images or at least i hope so <laughs>
0: they absolutely do and i also just want to let our listeners know that they're incredibly detailed i mean <laughs> you do this unbelievably beautiful embellished line work that's very decorative And I'm looking at one of my favorite pieces by you right now Mm. called Threshold, which to me looks kind of like an outdoor fountain, perhaps. And Mm. in front of it, there are candles and magical talismans and objects. But then you have this like scroll work kind of very intricate design that brings to mind for me things like. Persian miniatures. And Mm -hmm. when I've gone to spaces, I was fortunate enough to go to the Alhambra in Spain many, many years ago. Wow. And I remember being there and being taught that in Muslim culture, There is a tradition of aniconic artwork, in other words, not showing people or animals because Mm -hmm. you are not supposed to, I think, traditionally depict any kind of personified figures that the most respectful way of trying to show the divine is by not personifying it at all. How did I do? (laughs) You did pretty good. Okay, please jump in. So you're spot
2: on noticing the link between Persian miniature art and, and mine, because that is truly a huge influence on my work, has been the tradition of painting. And you're right, specifically in religious texts or religious stories, it's said that you're not supposed to kind of personify maybe big figures in the religion or prophets and whatnot, because as you said, they're beyond the physical form almost. Yes. But I will say this in Persian history, there's a really rich history of poetry and literature. And basically, since maybe around the 13th century, this literature, which is often mythology and maybe romantic poetry, even. Yes, for yes. Very romantic peoples. <laughs> And these were always illustrated with these gorgeous hand-painted, just tiny, if you think my work is detailed, like honestly, i always in awe of these paintings because, yet yeah, just every inch is covered in like little tiny, it's the symmetry that gets me. It's like these mm. symmetrical patterns that just kind of are perfect on the page because they were illustrating these old mythologies, you'd get all sorts of kind of like mystical beasts and even like, you know, scenes of romantic lovers. Like, you know, there'll be there'll be lots of like lovely ladies like playing instruments and whatnot. Sure, sure. There's just so much to draw from inspirationally, honestly. And
0: yeah, it's a really, really rich history.
2: I could look at it forever.
0: Oh, it's so beautiful. I imagine you know that the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York, where I live, They've Mm -hmm. relatively recently opened this unbelievable wing of just generally Middle Eastern artifacts and art, but the Persian collection is so breathtakingly beautiful. And those patterns also that you're talking about, I wonder if it feels meditative for you to create them as well. I would think that would be true of the architects and weavers and all of the other people does it feel that way for you when you're making that kind of detailed work
2: there's almost a level of kind of having to zone out when you're doing such kind of repetitive work sometimes when you're doing the patterns anyway at the end of the day it's my happy place right just kind of getting like proper zoned out or zoned into this painting Because it does, it really does take longer than maybe your standard larger painting. You'd think that the size would make it longer if it's a bigger painting. And obviously it depends on what you're painting, Sure, of course. But yeah, like really kind of slowing down, it kind of forces you into that meditative space for sure.
0: Yeah. So I could definitely say that. And how did that color blue come to you? Why have you landed on that in particular?
2: I don't know the answer
0: to that fully. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best answer, but keep going. It really
2: correlated with around the beginning of the lockdown for me, actually. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't a moment where I said, okay, I'm just going to start painting in these blues and purple. I think I just did one painting that really felt like where I was at, and it felt like a real shift from the previous works that I'd been doing up to that point. Then it became almost like an obsession. Like I couldn't move past this color palette. Yes. I'm trying to ease myself out of it now. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I should just stick to it. But yeah, I find these colors intoxicating. Yes. They're kind of like ultra violet, the blues and purples together. It just really kind of sends you into that kind of dreamlike space, which is totally what I'm going for in the imagery. I had a friend who kind of suggested maybe that this has something to do with it, but it really correlated with a moment where I kind of really doubled down and went full hermit, yeah, <laughs> during yeah. lockdown, yeah. I kind of cut off contact with most people that I know. Wow. I don't recommend this. It's very extreme. But in the moment, it's completely what I needed. Mm-hmm. I kind of had this moment where my phone was driving me crazy. I just need a clean slate. So I just kind of drew way into myself and kind of just started to build back up. I think that a lot of people went through very similar experiences these past few years, I think it's a collective thing Mm -hmm, at the end of the day. mm -hmm. But the way that it kind of came out for me is I just really drew into myself and poured
0: all my energy into creating these works, honestly. And they are so splendid. I mean, truly, (laughs) truly beautiful. And I feel the magic when I look at them. I really hope I'll get to see them in person someday because they are beyond special.
2: Thank you so much. It's so kind. So
0: I want to talk about, if you don't mind, your upbringing. You mentioned this love of Persian literature and poetry and artwork. Were you raised with any kind of religious context? Or can you talk a little bit about how religion or spirituality or magic was perhaps taught to you when you were a young person?
2: I'd love to, actually. I was very lucky to have grown up in a household where we were mostly quite secular. We were always free to explore what we wanted to explore. It's funny you bring up magic. We wouldn't call it that. I think actually in recent years, it became a joke in the house that we would call it, funnily enough, in Farsi, like, oh, it's the witchcraft time. We do actually have all these practices that they are magic. They're magical, ritualistic practices. And that's less from a religion aspect and more from a cultural aspect. Or like folk magic. A kind of. Yeah. So I'll give you some examples. So we have these seeds. Oh, they're wild rue seeds. So we burn wild rue to ward off the evil eye. Yeah, And that's just something that's been part of my life forever. And only in recent years am I kind of like, yeah, that's our version of smudging and all this kind of thing. Yes, yes, yes. You mentioned the poetry. This is all incorporated so deeply into Iranian culture. And a lot of it does come from more Zoroastrian practices Mm -hmm. rather than Islamic practices. Mm -hmm. For example, we celebrate on the winter solstice, it's called Yalda Night. Traditionally, what we do is every year, usually families kind of gather and we stay up late and we eat pomegranates and watermelon, which are typically not the fruit of that time. But these fruits are to represent abundance in a time when, you know, these fruits aren't in season. Yes, The tradition is to do on this night, winter solstice. Basically, we would get out this big book of poetry by Hafez and Everybody in the group will go around, make a wish, and then the person who's reading the poetry will open on a random page <gasps> and read the poetry from that page. So it's uh, a divination, right?
0: Bibliomancy. How fabulous. Yeah. I love Hafiz as well. Such oh, beautiful God. writing. My goodness. How special. Yeah. Where was this? Where did you grow up, Niku?
2: I was born in the UK But when I was about six years old, my family, we moved to Kuwait. Mm -hmm. I lived there until I was 18 and then I went back to the UK.
0: Wow. So your formative years were in Kuwait? They were. They were. Okay. Interesting. And this is a very ignorant question. But how different culturally might Kuwait be from Iran where your ancestors were from? Super different. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: really, really different. But you know what, I am so grateful to my parents for kind of moving us over to the Middle East, because of course, it's much closer to my culture than the UK would be. Yes. One of the main reasons I think was also so that we could go to Iran in the summers. When Mm -hmm. I was a kid, we would go to Iran every summer. It was amazing it meant that I was closer to these kind of cultural things. And there were maybe more Iranians around us, because again, we were in the region. Culturally, of course, quite different. But there were a lot of things that, you know,
0: we do share. So it's not like it was that much of a Mm -hmm. far world. But yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so after Kuwait, did you move back to the UK to go to art school? Is that what happened?
2: Yeah, that is what happened. I went to art school in Bournemouth, a little seaside town. Yes. Once I was done there, I just moved to London and kind of stuck around there for about 10 years. And now I've moved to Rome. So
0: What? Why are you in Rome? (laughs) My goodness. Adventurous woman.
2: I'm super grateful. It's by chance, honestly. My partner wanted to kind of go back to study. He's from Italy. So we decided to come here we'd both kind of been looking for a way to get out of the UK. And yeah, luckily, this was where the university that you picked was. So yeah, I'm super happy. I can't believe it, honestly. I've been here for about
0: two months. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's all very fresh. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to see how the Italian history of art might infuse into your work too. How fabulous. (laughs) On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. I want to tell you about a new, witchy, queer-led podcast called Psyche Magic, where psychotherapist Jordan Hale interviews artists of all stripes about working with the subconscious via dreams, tarot, and the spirit realm. These freeform, playful conversations are about integrating the magic of symbol into both waking and dreaming life deepening a sense of interconnection, creativity, and self-knowledge. Jordan's velvety voice and nurturing energy are perfect for relaxing and sending you off for a restful and sometimes eventful night's sleep. If you're like me, you're a practical witch who wants to put those seven or eight, or dare I say nine, hours of sleep to good use, and the Psyche Magic podcast will help you learn to work mindfully with your dream material and cultivate sustainable practices around reveling in your inner world. So grab your nearest dream journal and check out this dreamy podcast— You can visit their website at PsycheMagicPodcast.com, that's P-S-Y-C-H-E MagicPodcast.com, or by searching Psyche Magic wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you, as it so often is, by the marvelous Mithras Candle fall is here, and with the cool autumn air and darkening evenings comes a radiant tool for creating the perfect sacred setting or cozy moment. Of course, I'm talking about Mithras candles. These pure beeswax lights are inspired by the modern science of photobiology, along with ancient pagan practices and cosmic mysteries. Mithras candles are handmade by my mythic and scientific pals in Philadelphia and come in traditional golden yellow and sensual black hues with other colors and collaborations popping up seasonally. I'm telling you, my friends, you will be hooked like I am once you experience the gorgeous Byzantine hand-dripped style of a Mithras candle and their honeyed floral aroma. Mm. Go to MithrasCandle.com to pick up the perfect glowing addition to your magical moments. And Witchwave listeners get 23% off their first order using offer code WITCH at checkout. That's offer code WITCH at M in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, candle.com. That's code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com for 23% off your first order. So I was just introduced to a truly splendid new tarot deck called the Meta Muse Tarot. And I absolutely love its gorgeous retro collage artwork, which modernizes the arcana without losing its meaningful symbolism. The images are so beautiful and fantastical, which you know I love, but also really elegant and diverse. And the whole deck just feels incredibly special with gold gilt edges, and it also comes in a collectible two-piece hardcover box, and it has a 168-page guidebook, so the whole experience is just super deluxe. The Metamuse Tarot is ideal for beginners as well as experienced readers because it follows the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery, but what makes this deck unique is that in addition to its stunning artwork, there are many correspondences included in each card. Now, as you might know, each card in the tarot also has astrological, elemental, and even Kabbalistic associations. And this deck has all of that included in the artwork and in the guidebook. Because exploring all of those associations and symbols adds so much more depth and magic to a tarot reading. Now, customers absolutely love the Metamuse Tarot and have given many five-star reviews over on Etsy and Shopify. So get your copy of the Metamuse Tarot today over at shopthemetamuse.com. That's shop, T-H-E, M-E-T-A-M-U-S-E dot com. And be sure to use the code WITCHWAVE for 25% off. That's 25% off the Meta Muse Tarot using code WITCHWAVE. Welcome back to the Wave Today I'm speaking with Niku Bafti. So Niku, you talked a bit about how some Persian... We'll call them folk magic or mysticism was introduced to you when you were growing up. I'd love to hear more about your relationship with I suppose this is a very broad question, but Mm. the magical history of that region, because it is so rich. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the West are still not aware that so much of the, we'll call it the occult, (laughs) a lot of the things that have become popularized Mm. actually originate in that region, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank
0: you for asking about that.
2: I hope to become a little bit more informed myself because it's quite hard to get this information. It's only recently that I've found one book that speaks about the origins of magic. The concept of ritual magic did actually come out of Zoroastrian practices thousands of years ago in Iran by the ancient Persians. And the word magic, it comes from the Persian word magush. Mm -hmm. You know, in the biblical stories, the three wise magis, the Persian magis. So who were they? To the best of my understanding... The main goal of magic within Zoroastrianism was to spread light into the world. That was the main reason that people would do this ritual magic. Mm. And then anything outside of that would be considered sorcery, which was not good to them. To the best of my understanding, that really did just include focused intent, meditation, it was a religion based around fire. So we'd have these fire temples Ooh. where the fire was, yeah, burning 24 7 for years and years, that there was people who guarded the fire and whatnot. And the basic tenet of this religion, Zoroastrianism, was to think good things, do good things, and say good things. I may have got that mixed up in the
0: order. The intention is clear.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So it's literally about putting out as much positive energy as you possibly can if you want to simplify it as much as possible. And funnily enough, my name, Niku, comes from that, the saying that I just said. So the good things is Nik in Farsi. Mm. So Niku is of good things
0: from that. How beautiful. (laughs) What a gorgeous name and what a beautiful intention to try to embody and live up to. I I love that so (laughs) much. I think that you're doing pretty well. I mean, I don't know you that well, but just based on the energy I'm getting from you and your beautiful artwork, I'd say you're living up to your name so far. That's my quick read of the situation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you referenced a book that you have been reading. Can you just tell (laughs) listeners? I'm sure they'll be interested in knowing the name of the book
2: of course it's called original magic by stephen e flowers it's quite a thin book it kind of does a basic history at the beginning and the rest of it is actually kind of practice which i haven't delved into yet it's a very all-encompassing mostly meditation Mm. which works for me it's been really eye-opening and fascinating because i really didn't know a lot of the stuff that i've learned in this book He mentions at the beginning of the book that there was a suppression of this information, that it came from Iran, either intentionally in the past or not. It would be great if it started to become a little bit more common knowledge that we actually have this history too.
0: Absolutely. We had a guest on recently who's a friend Mm -hmm. of mine, Brian Cotnoir, who's an alchemist and an alchemy Mm -hmm. expert. And I took a class with him many years ago in alchemy. Mm -hmm. And he was like, So much of alchemy comes from the Middle East. And certainly as I've gotten to know a little bit more about things like talismanic magic and magic squares and Mm -hmm. magic rings and, you know, some of the stories even of like King Solomon, it's like my understanding also of that. Region is that there was such a cross pollination of like certainly Zoroastrian culture and Persian culture, but also like Jewish culture, Greek yes. and Roman culture, Egyptian yeah. culture, all sort of like feeding each other too, which I find mm-hmm. really inspiring. So, for example, when you were talking about the rue seeds earlier, mm-hmm. rue in Jewish magic is a very right. protective herb too. And so Amazing. I have to wonder did we learn that from you? Did you learn it from us? Like, Maybe just we both came to it via our own magical experiments. It's so, so interesting. Super interesting. So I find that so, so thrilling too. So when did you start getting interested in magic yourself? Because clearly your work is magical. I mean, I consider you a practitioner of magic. I don't know if you are comfortable with the word witch or not, but I'd love to hear how your own spiritual development and seeking has evolved over the years.
2: Just to mention about the word witch. Yeah, I don't think I've ever applied it to myself, maybe because of its more Western roots. Not that that's, I've been highly Westernized. I've grown up in the West, so it's okay. No, that makes
0: perfect sense.
2: Yeah, it's not something I've really identified with. I kind of interweave it in everything. I think the moment that I gave myself permission to make it my own, my practice, it was the moment that everything clicked into place. Because up to that point, I would read Western witchcraft books or books about magic from different cultures. And whilst I was fascinated by it, and I've always wanted to learn about these things, it never really connected with me. I'll bring it back to learning about that holographic reality. That moment, something's flipped in me because it really did give me permission to make it my own. My desk is my altar. And I don't say that figuratively. Like I actually have all my little collected objects, my magical things like right in front of me. My candles are all there. You know, I've got my palisanto on the side in case I need it. I've always been a magpie. I've always like collected cool rocks or feathers or, you know, like <laughs> sure. things that have power to me. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's what lights you up, right? I think that's what magic is. To me, in recent times, I'd say that there's very little separation between kind of what I call my magical practice. And well, I mean, of course, there are moments where real world comes blasting in like a freight train. Of course,
0: we (laughs) all have to wrestle with the mundane.
2: Absolutely. But it's made me feel like myself almost in a weird way, engaging with the world with that kind of worldview of what you put out that comes back to you and all that kind of thing. It's a really powerful way to live life, you know?
0: Ah, absolutely. Well, you have put out such magic and such beauty (laughs) with your artwork and with this new Oracle deck, which I can't wait to get. So I think you have a lot of magic coming back to you, my friend.
2: (laughs) Thank you so
0: much, Pam. I really honestly, I'm thrilled to hear you say these things. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Now, in our final moments together, I know people are going to want to get their hands on this deck. They're going to want to see your work. They're going to want to connect with you. Please do all your shout outs and plugs. Go for
1: it.
2: Yeah. You can pre-order the deck right now from PRS.org or just Google it, Transmutation Oracle for the Philosophical Research Society. And yeah, you can go straight to the pre-order there now. And then for me, you can find all the ways to get to me on my website. I
0: have an Instagram. Find me there. Yeah. And your website is your name. Nice and easy. Yeah. It's just my name. Yeah. Nikubafti.com. Beautiful. Niku, thank you so much for creating the work that you create. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your magic with me today. It was such a delight and an inspiration.
2: Right back at you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. That's it for the
0: show. Thank you again to Niku Bafti for sharing her holographic holy images with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Paschal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at witchwavepod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now, and the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well, so thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.